You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coaches, this is Chrissy Beltran and I am so excited to share episode 12 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast with you today because I can guarantee it's going to help you work through one of the biggest challenges that coaches face. So here's the challenge. So many times, usually due to our tight schedules, we provide workshops and we model for teachers and then we do the collaborative planning and we work on the ideas and then we expect them to magically implement new things. And when we don't, we don't see it in the classroom, we're really frustrated. We're like, why did we spend all that time on this? It didn't even work. So my incredible guest, Gretchen Bridgers of Always a Lesson, is here to talk with us today about what we can do to change that pattern. I'm really excited to share this with you. Hey, Gretchen. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you could join me today because I really think you're going to help a lot of coaches out with your advice. Um, can you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your educational path? Yeah, sure. It's it's quite unique. So my name is Gretchen. Uh, my website is always a lesson. It started as a blog where I was just writing random things about lessons I was teaching and lessons I was learning in the classroom. And so that's why I called it always a lesson. And I didn't care if anyone read it and I didn't even care um, if it helped anybody. But for me, it was almost therapeutic uh, to talk through and work through what I was facing. There was such a lack of support and I was frustrated in how to get better. And so this was kind of my way to journal it out and folks started commenting. And then over time, folks didn't read blogs as much. And I heard about this thing called podcasting and I'm like, okay, cool. So why don't I just make like an audio blog? So then the Empowering Educators podcast was born and now I'm able to share more stories that I didn't really write about in my blog and just talk about instructional best practices that I've learned through my journey of teaching second grade and third grade and fifth grade and then transitioning to coaching new teachers K-12, which is a beast. Um, and it's just been... A really wild ride and and now that I am raising my own kids at home I am able to work with districts at my own pace I am NOT under a specific school district which is really nice great ideal job for a, a, someone that wants to really be home with their kids but also be able to do what they love so I'm in this sweet spot right now don't know what is the next chapter and that is the blessing of being an educator is you can use your degree in a variety of ways, and I've already done so many different things in my path, and so I'm just excited to share a little bit of those learnings with everybody today. That's great, and I, I saw that you posted about that recently, actually, about how you can use your degree in different ways, and yes. you don't have you're not tied down to one um, one position within the educational field. Right, and I think there's a stigma. Like, mm -hmm. I guess I have to love teaching. Well, maybe it's just not a good fit of your subject area or your grade level or your school or your district. I mean, mm -hmm. you're not married to your first job. Like, mm -hmm. learn from what you can and then decide what is it you want and go seek it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or sometimes you, like, I loved being in the classroom and I wasn't ready to leave. But whenever the coaching opportunity came up, I was like, I think I have to try this. You know, mm -hmm. so I think, yeah, it's, it's okay to try different things. You can always go back. Right. So we were talking the other day about this idea of practice and supporting teachers in bridging from the kind of the learning that you've done with workshops or PLC and implementing new ideas into actually getting those classrooms 
um, those ideas implemented in the classroom. And so we, we often see like a real disconnect there where we do work together in one context and then it doesn't transfer into the classroom. So what does yeah. practice actually look like in your coaching work with teachers? I love that you use the word transfer. That is certainly a problem. So when I learned to coach, I was under the tutelage of the new teacher project at Teach Charlotte. That was the branch I was working in. And again, it was just all new teachers. We used Teach Like a Champion. So there was this like roadmap of techniques that we were going to roll out, which was great. It gave us a common language. And one thing that they taught us about um, working with teachers is there's this idea of a get it, do it gap. And that's what you're talking about. There's this lack of transfer. There's this Grand Canyon from, I understand it cognitively, but I'm just struggling to put it into action. And that's where the coach can help be the bridge and say, okay, let's talk this out. Let's script this out. Let's practice this so that the gap doesn't exist. And tomorrow when I see you teach, I'm seeing it live. I'm seeing you implement. And it has been a game changer. And so how we get over that gap is through practice and it's awkward and it feels funny and a lot of us don't want to do it and it's easy to make an excuse why you don't have to get up in front of your peers and practice but it is the best thing because you're finding your footing you're finding your words you're finding your stance and your confidence you're also working out any of the tweaks that need to happen when you realize oh that wasn't as effective or oh that's going to be an obstacle let's rethink that before you then do it in front of kids so you're so much more effective when you start implementing because you have this practice. And I hate that in education, practice is like this negative thing. And, and having a coach is a negative thing. But if you think about anyone who's successful, they practice nonstop. And they've got a coach in their ear praising them and giving them little tweaks to their performance and they're getting better. And that's how they attribute their success is I practice. And teachers, we just don't practice. We don't prioritize it and we don't make time for it. And then when it's time to do it, we don't do it 100%. We just kind of go through the motions and like, oh my God, let's hope this uh, debrief session is over with or let's hope this PD session is over with. This is just weird. But the best thing you can do is just continually do it and build a culture of practice where everyone's in there either acting as the teacher, acting as a misbehaving student or helping you think through the potential obstacles and when everyone's on board and it just becomes something you do, it's no longer weird. And it's actually exciting. Like I had teachers say, Oh, can we please practice this real quick? Instead of, can we talk through this? And mm -hmm. that's the change that needs to happen. Okay. So I think that's a really good point um, that you're trying to create a culture of practice and to make it the norm instead of something weird <laughs> that you have yeah. to do uh, with only a few individuals. So do you build it, you build in practice time to workshops and PLCs whenever you've learned something new? Absolutely. I've got a debrief guide that I follow and the majority of the debrief is spent practicing. So I jump in real quick with something positive they did. Then I talk about the area of focus and I tie it to a rubric of their performance. So they understand this isn't me nitpicking. This isn't my opinion, but this is actually something the state's requiring or the school wants you to get better at. See, this is the next level that you can move up if we tweak this one thing. And then we jump into, let me model this for you, what it could look like. Okay, let me give you time to just plan really quickly on a sheet of paper, what you want to pull from my model and then how you can make it your own. And then I just want you to get up there and do it messy and do it sloppy and do it imperfect. And I'm going to give you feedback. But here's the trick. You've got to then practice again, because 
If we don't practice implementing the feedback, then we actually never do it better. We just repeat mm -hmm. the last time we practiced it. We have to build the muscle memory of doing it right and doing it better. So mm -hmm. two rounds of practice, at least incorporating feedback that is rooted in a rubric for us. Again, it was teach like a champion. So it was easy to pick a part of the technique, but you've really just got to start first with, with being intentional with saying, we're going to practice right now. And this is what it's going to look like. So then that's part of your coaching cycle is you do the two rounds of yes. practice with the feedback. I like that. Hey coaches, I'm just going to pop in here really fast because I want to share something with you that I am so excited about. My course for elementary literacy coaches, The Confident Literacy Coach, is live. It's up and running and you can get access to it right now. So here's the deal. When I started out as a coach, I struggled. I had trouble defining my role and communicating it with teachers and administration. And I honestly didn't even know that was something I was going to have to do. I dreaded PLC days because getting my teachers to collaborate, to speak the same language and create lesson plans together was a total nightmare. And I was so stressed out by modeling and co-teaching in classrooms that I actually avoided it for a long time. It was not a happy time for me, <laughs> but things got so much better. I figured out processes to help my teams of teachers work together. I focused on best practices in reading and writing and identified some high impact strategies to support alignment on my campus. And I began to spend more time in classrooms after I planned thoroughly with teachers before lessons. Basically, I started coaching with confidence. This work and I've put it all together in one place so you can coach with confidence too. The Confident Literacy Coach is your one-stop shop for everything literacy coaching in elementary school. You'll learn how to define your role and communicate it to your administrator, what best practices you should spend your time on, and my process for collaborative planning, plus so much more that will take your coaching life from frustrated and overwhelmed to effective and confident. You can check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com. Just click the Confident Literacy Coach at the bottom of the latest post and you'll learn exactly what's in the course and why it will change your coaching for the better. I can't wait to see you there. Yeah, there's actually an article um, that I was reading in Educational Leadership. They're, they did a whole magazine, I've got it right here. It's called A Culture of Coaching. So if you guys haven't read that, um, I used to have a membership, but I just went on and got this one subscription because I, I loved it so much. And there's an article in there that says, what you practice is what you value. So mm -hmm. if we value quality teaching and best practices, then we better be practicing them. And if mm -hmm. we're not, then maybe we don't value that at all. Like where are we spending our time? Is it digging into the data? Is it just observing someone and leaving quick feedback? Like when you really look at what it is we're doing 24 seven, that shows you what we're valuing, what we're putting emphasis on, and it's not practice. And they make a great point. They said, I um, dog-eared it. They said, practice is the difference between rhetoric and reality. And that's what we're saying here, that get it, do it gap is they get it. They understand the words. They, they understand your feedback. But when it comes to the reality of what's happening in the classroom, they're not implementing it because they're not taking the time to translate thoughts to actions and build that muscle memory, and it talks about transformative feedback, meaning we're gonna change the way we're doing things and operate at a higher level, and I've mm -hmm. never thought about it as transformative, and I think that's really empowering when you look at practice as the way that you're gonna upgrade your effectiveness. That is such an excellent point because <clears throat> when we tell people, this is what I'm seeing, <clears throat> this is what you can do, but then they don't know how to roll it out, even with good intentions, 
um, they get overwhelmed. And I know many times I've worked with teachers and I will, you know, you slip into your think aloud mode and you're, you're modeling something in the moment and you just kind of suddenly say, oh, this is what it would sound like if you're talking to kids. And they go, wait, let me write that down. Let me write that down. Like every, and they're like, say it again. I'm like, I don't know. It's already gone. I don't yeah. know. I to, let me think. What did I say? Because you do things kind of naturally, probably because we've had so much practice in, in thinking in that way. But if mm -hmm. teachers haven't really integrated that into their teaching, they're like, I don't know how to talk in a kid-friendly way. I don't know how to say things concisely and purposefully. I don't know how to do a quick teaching point that is, you know, that is meaningful and powerful that doesn't take an hour, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, they, that's why they respond in that way is because they're like, I need to integrate that into what I do and I, I need to write it down so I can capture that moment because this is so different from the way that I would do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's three ways to combat that. I think mm -hmm. you can do learning walks where you can go watch other people who are great at that one thing. Like, mm -hmm. oh, this teacher's great at student-friendly language. This teacher is really great at circulating the room. Like, go watch them 10 minutes, come back. That's an excellent way for you to see it live in action rather than just modeling. Two is to set up a camera and just watch yourself and say, I thought I was being clear. I thought my directions were sequential and mm -hmm. concrete, but now that I'm watching it, it's really not as effective. And I now see what you're trying to push me to do. Mm -hmm. And then third is just working with that coach one-on-one -on -one to get the feedback, to write it down, to practice, you know, to just find your flow and work through it. And if you try those three different angles to hone your craft, you're going to be successful, even though it feels awkward or challenging in the moment. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, the, the ways that you can implement practice in different ways, I think is really helpful because if we feel like we can only do this by working one-on-one -on -one with a teacher, then we're not going to be able to do it often enough to impact right. a whole school. Right. And a cool, um, speaking of that, at a staff meeting, what I do is carousel. You've probably heard of this. So you have an inner, inner circle facing out and outer circle facing in. And so we'll say, okay, we're going to do a round of practice. Give your directions for your lesson tomorrow go and the outer circle says their directions, the inner circle gives feedback. Then the outer circle changes to the next person. They rotate and I say, go. Now implement the feedback you just got and say your directions again. We might do three, four rounds of that. And that mm -hmm. takes what, five minutes? Right. But now they're like, oh, like I see where I, what I'm missing and I now found my words and your feedback's so great and you're building relationships among everyone and you're building that culture of practice and it's not just having to rely on the coach to be the one to practice. Mm -hmm. They're practicing with each other. It's mm -hmm. so easy to change um, the, the culture of your school of looking at practice is okay. It's mm -hmm. the best thing you can actually do. I love that suggestion. That's, we used to call it inner circle, outer circle. Uh, oh, yeah. Kagan, Kagan strategy. So I really like that idea because it is brief and it's not as threatening because it's just two people communicating right. instead of one person like modeling in front of a group of people. Yeah. It's not as stressful. So I think people right. could get behind that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what has the impact of practice been? And you've worked with teachers before and you've implemented this. What have you seen um, in the classroom? Transformation. And we were just talking about that word. Mm -hmm. When they, one is their confidence. They feel ready to take on their lesson and they're excited to see how they implement it. It's like, if you've been working on your jump shot for so long, you can't wait for the game to like give it a try. And they're, they're just excited for their turn to do it. And when you're in there and you're watching them like, yes, this is what we practice. This is what we talked about. Because so many times you walk in, you're like, what? Like, I thought we had a whole plan. Like, where did it go? And the teacher's like, I, I thought I did it a, a little bit, maybe. And you're like, not at all. 
you know, but now it's like you're giving the thumbs up and you're clapping and you're smiling and you exit and they just beam with pride that they've made that small change that had such a big impact on their students and they get hooked. It's like, give me more feedback. Give me more time to practice. I can't wait mm -hmm. to get better at all these things. And it just creates so much momentum. Um, and, and the teachers in their own performance skyrocketed because they were open to getting better. It was no longer you're degrading me and telling me that I'm not great at this and I'll just never be great at this. It's really motivating and empowering to say, look at these small things I'm doing. Look at how I'm getting better. Like, look at me, look at me. You know, they mm -hmm. turn into kids and, and they can't wait to show each other and share each other out. And um, there comes a time where they do want to show a video of themselves to the group or they do want to model something that really went well or look how we, I took what we practiced as a group and did my own version. It worked. You should try it. And <laughs> it just like becomes this monster of greatness that you sit back and you say, well done. Mm, that's beautiful. Do what kinds of things have you practiced with teachers for implementation in the classroom? So a lot of it is teacher directions in terms of what is the teacher doing? What are my teacher actions? Um, am I passing out papers? Great. What are the kids doing while you're passing out papers? And they think, oh, I've never thought about that. They're just going to wait for the paper. No, that's dead time. That's where misbehaviors mm -hmm. happen. Let's think through this. How can we be more efficient? Uh, so we walk the route of what we're doing. We practice what we're writing on the board. Can we have stuff already on a slide with directions instead of having to waste time writing it? And again, giving dead time or a practice guided reading groups. Let's walk through how you're going to present this book. What are the pieces you're pulling out? What are the questions you're going to ask? Hey, with this student that's struggling, what manipulatives are we going to use? Let's roll it out about how exciting it is to use this tool and how to use this tool. So we're basically, wherever the focus is for the teacher, which is usually the teacher actions, it is what we're honing in on, not so much working uh, on the students. That's That helps in the moment coaching, mm -hmm. if you do whisper coaching or some sort of signals. But we really try and prevent a lot of the issues they're having by the teacher deciding ahead of time and being intentional with mm -hmm. what it is they're doing and what it is they're saying and how that all happens. I can see so many values in that, like so much value in that, and so many opportunities to to clarify things and just make things more precise. You know, that's mm -hmm. probably, that's such a really good tip because I think, like you said, so many times we do all the back work, we do all the preparation with teachers and they just cannot envision themselves doing it. And even if you practice envision yourself doing this, how would you apply it in the classroom? It's not the same thing at all as actually going through the motion and, and building the habit. Yeah. One of the techniques they talk about in Teach Like a Champion um, is going granular, which is go so nitpicky to uh, one piece of your instruction and let's work that out. And it's a domino because once you got that foundation, then we go the next little piece. And before you know it, you've got this masterpiece going on and you, and it's less overwhelming because when a teacher is like, wow, you're going to watch me for an hour. There's so much I'm doing. And it's like, I'm just going to pick the biggest lever, the thing that we can work on that's going to have the biggest impact when we get it right. Mm -hmm. And that's all we're going to talk about. And that's all we're going to work on. And when we got that, we'll move on. But we're not mm -hmm. going to sit there and tear apart your an hour long lesson and talk about what could be different. We're going to pick one piece and we're going to go in and we're going to go in hard. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh, I, I kind of like this. And it, it makes it feel less stressful and less overwhelming. It's one thing they can apply all day long yes. and get mileage out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not just this one time. It's not just this subject. It's not this class. 
-hmm. These are instructional strategies that you can use anytime. Like I said, I coached K-12 and people be like, how do you know kindergarten curriculum and senior biology or whatever? Right. See, I don't you don't know have to. The science class. You don't have to mm -hmm. because it's all about how you're delivering the method. I expect you to be the expert in your field and I'm coming in to help you think through the delivery portion of it. And when they realize we both have something to contribute, it's a really strong partnership. Mm -hmm. That's great. And that's, that's a good model for coaching. Right. So are there any important considerations to think about when working through practice with teachers? Like what, what does, um, what are some of the, like the pitfalls that you want to avoid or some tips that you have for us to make it effective? So I think you've got to build the whole idea behind why we're going to do it first, whether you announce it at a staff meeting, whether you model it a few times, you've got to get their head wrapped around, how does this benefit me? And so you might do some silly role play of a teacher delivering a lesson that's not going well. And then you say, now watch, we're going to practice. And then this person's going to do it again. And of course they're in on it and, and you've given them a cue card, like do this really horribly, you know, and now do this really great. Mm -hmm. And so they're um, doing it in front of their peers. And, and now people visually see the difference and how, not only how they're performing, but how students then perform because of that. So once you've got that announcement out there, now it's time to think through, well, what is this going to look like? And then you'll roll that out. Okay. So when we meet one-on-one -on -one or in small group strength planning, we're going to spend five to seven minutes practicing one piece of your lesson. It's what I call the sticky spot. So the part you're not feeling most confident, the part you're most nervous about, and let's practice. What is it you're going to say? Where are you going to stand? How are you going to answer students' questions? How are you going to circulate and check in on them? How are you collecting data? Whatever it is, mm -hmm. we're going to practice so that you feel yourself doing it. So when it's time to do it in real time, you got it. Mm -hmm. And through the modeling piece, and through the repetition, they're going to find out that this is actually great. And a lot of the pushback is it's uncomfortable. It's, it's weird, especially if it's one-on-one. -on -one. You feel silly and you don't want to have like your teacher voice, but you just <laughs> keep encouraging them like be you. However you teach, practice that way because I want you to pretend that this is game time. And I want to help you in game time. So be you. If you want me to wear a mask or turn around or whatever, like we can do it. But we've got to get over that obstacle. Um, a lot of teachers will do what I say is 80%. They're, they're not all going all out. They're, the uh -huh. accelerator is not down. And it's because they just feel funky. And it's anytime you do something new, it just doesn't feel right. Or you're tired. Or it's been a stressful day. Or you're just not in the mood. You just want to get the meeting over with. But it's like, if you can do this all out, imagine what it's going to look like tomorrow in front of students mm -hmm. and just keep being that positive force and don't let them dictate whether you practice or whether you don't do it all out. Like you're in control of how this goes because you know it benefits them and it benefits the students. And, and once that is established that they're not going to be able to wiggle out of it, everything turns around. So just be prepared for those two pitfalls. That's a really good point because I know a lot of teachers who will say, oh, I'm fine in front of the kids, <clears throat> but in front of the adults, I get freaked out. So yeah. they don't want to, uh -huh. <laughs> it's like their so self-conscious filter turns way up in front of adults. And I'll tell them, here's the look for. When you practice, mm -hmm. this is what I'm watching. I, I'm not watching where you're standing this time or I'm not going to watch mm -hmm. the words you use. Right now I'm watching X, Y, Z. And when they realize that you're just honing in on such small things, it's mm -hmm. like they're less self-conscious and they now understand the process. It's like, I'm going to 
you're, you're giving them the roadmap of what's happening and mm -hmm. it's less scary. It's more transparent. And I think that works. So be very clear. What are they practicing? Why are they practicing it? And then let them know what you're looking for as you're watching. So in partners, if you have people do this in a, in a partnership, like you were talking about the carousel earlier, you tell the other person, you tell one person you're going to practice this and the other person, you, you give them a, a guideline of what kind of feedback they're going to provide or what they're going to look for. Yeah. I'll say, okay, this teacher's going to um, do their transition from whole group to small group mm -hmm. and they're going to give their instructions of what students are to do. And I want you to pay attention to blank. And I may whisper that or I may give them a card or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so the person that's doing the teaching can know what the look for is from that, from that peer or not. You decide based on that relationship because you can change the lens every time and you'll say, okay, do that again. This time I want you to look for blank. Okay, do it again. This time I want you to look for blank. Um, so it's a lot of practice, not just for the one doing the practice, but the, the peer that's mm -hmm. watching to gain ideas and to gain clarity and what this is about and and just feel good about the whole coaching process it feels like we are getting better rather than one person okay so can you tell me like what how would you define the coach's role in this situation of um coaching people to practice in partners or in your workshops what is the role that you're taking on so you're the facilitator but at first you're kind of walking through a lesson cycle. There's some direct instruction because you're rolling out what this is going to look like. There's some guided practice because you're doing a shared model with you and another teacher. And then you're going to let them go, whether you do carousel or they just partner up or whatever the situation is. Uh, so just like a good lesson, you're using gradual release of responsibility. And then just like any great teacher, when the students are working, you're circulating, you're leaning and listening, you're taking notes of great things you're seeing. You might do a mid-workshop interruption and say, class, let me just call out something great I heard. Uh, continue, and then they're back to practicing, or we call it the high-five hustle, where they have to find someone across the room, give them a high-five practice. When you hear the bell, hustle again, you're high-fiving someone else on the other side of the room, and you're practicing. It's just rounds and rounds and rounds, and implementing that feedback. So you've gotta be ear to the street, sleeves rolled up ready to help what's happening in the moment but then come back and debrief about how that went what we're going to do going forward trends that you saw so you kind of wear multiple hats depending on what's happening during that professional development session i love that that idea of facilitating but at the at that point you're facilitating but prior to that you've had to do a lot of legwork to make sure that it actually happens you can't jump into that too soon i'm assuming you do some good teaching around this um, for a while before people are ready to practice or comfortable to practice. Yeah, you've got to set a, a long-term plan. Mm -hmm. So you talk with your admin. What do you want this to look like? What do you want my partnership and my coaching to look like? That way you're on the same page. Then you say, well, one big part of coaching is practice. How do you feel about rolling this out? When, when would you like to start this? When can I get on the calendar to roll this out? So then you have the first initial meeting where you talk about it, you give examples, and then you, throughout the next month or so, you're popping in, doing a little bit of it. Then you're coming back maybe for another meeting. You're like, how'd that feel? Let's work through it. Let's do a group practice. Now this next month, we're going to hit a little harder. So you kind of just like student teaching where you back off a little bit in the beginning and learn the ropes. And then you each week gets a little bit more intense. That's kind of what coaching is like when you're rolling it out to staff until they're ready. And, and it's hard for me to tell you, oh, two to four weeks. It's all based on the culture that is established by the leader in the building, how much they're backing you on that, how willing teachers are. Um, so it's really all depends, but if you can just 
say, I'm going to dedicate five minutes every conversation practicing, mm -hmm. then you're doing something great and doing something better. Right. Even if you can't impact the whole school in that way, you can start rolling it out in coaching cycles and individual work with teachers. Yeah, that's 25 plus kids that mm -hmm. you've just affected. So some people are like, oh, I, I just, I only work with one teacher. I only get three that want help. And it's like, no, 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 that's 60 kids. That's 90 kids. Like, look at the impact you're having. Let's like start thinking like that. And you realize, wow, this ripple effect is huge. Mm -hmm. And that's true because it's 30 kids, 60 kids, 90 kids this year. But that teacher is forever yes. transformed is the goal, right? It's not to change your teaching this year. It's to change your teaching forever. So then you're affecting every kid that teacher will ever work with. Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> so mm -hmm. how do you create this culture of refining, refining your craft versus winging it? Because winging it is a huge issue. Uh, I, yeah. I work with um, several <laughs> schools now uh, in addition to my buzzing with, with this B work. I also do some, some consulting work and workshops and coaching with a few schools. And that's one of the areas that I have noticed that I've seen a lot of issues with and that teachers are like, well, I'll say, so tell me about what you're working on tomorrow. What is your plan for tomorrow? Well, we're going to read this, this uh, text. And, um, and then I thought we might do, you know, like main idea. <laughs> yeah. But so I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, are yeah. you going to do it? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> they, they, they're not always sure. <laughs> well, I see it a lot in a veteran teacher because they've taught so long. They're just mm -hmm. a natural in front of the kids. And they, some have a learning style, not just veterans that are, they can't script. They can't yeah. make a thorough plan. It like freezes them up. It's overwhelming. They don't perform well. So you've got to know your teachers. And I think there's a way to say, I'm going to allow you to have some freedom, but during practice, you're going to be thorough because I know then it's going to translate into the classroom. And so when a teacher's, when I say, okay, what are you teaching tomorrow? And they say, main idea. Great. How are you doing that? And they're like, well, maybe I'll do a passage. Okay. Which passage? You know, and they're like, uh, uh, uh. And so you, you're pinned <laughs> yeah. down to the details. And then when it comes time to practice, you're saying, Okay, go ahead. And they'll say, well, I'll probably, no, no narration, mm -hmm. go, action. And they'll say, okay, so I might um, say something. Nope, what would you say? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like cutting them off from that bad mm -hmm. habit of just narrating maybe potentially an idea I'll figure out tomorrow in the moment or mm -hmm. whatever copies I can get my hands on. And it's like, no, like we've got to change the way we're doing things. We've got to be more intentional and when they start going back to ground zero of how to plan effectively and plan thoroughly, they start realizing, oh, like this is actually really having an effect on kids because I'm able to tie things together. I really know what's going to be happening tomorrow. If a sub comes in last second, it's all laid out and ready to go. The quality of instruction doesn't suffer because that substitute can't just wing page 12 that you wrote down in your lesson plan, you know? So you're really focusing on nailing the language, nailing the behaviors, nailing the specifics and not letting them get away with that vagueness. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, um, one of the things that we talked about recently with teachers was I had done an activity where I did a read aloud. I was trying to get them to really notice their reading thoughts because they were struggling um, teaching reading comprehension strategies because they were not acknowledging their own thought processes as readers. I thought that was sort of an underlying issue. So I read a lot of book and I said, I want you just to record your thoughts on sticky notes. Every time you have a thought, 
record it on a sticky note. Um, and just, and there's no wrong answer. I just want to know what's going on in your brain. So we read, I paused, read, paused, they recorded their thinking. And afterwards I gave them a table with reading comprehension strategies labeled on it. And they had to sort their thinking into the different strategies. And one teacher who throughout the whole lesson kept going, I think I'm doing this wrong. I think I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> At the end, she's sorting her, her thinking and she goes, oh, all of my thoughts are the same kind of thought. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, they're all connections. Every single thought I had was a connection. And it occurred to me that if this teacher is winging it in her classroom and her natural inclination as a reader is just to make a million connections and not mm -hmm. to think about other things, what kinds of conversations is she having with kids? What strategies is she introducing and modeling to kids? If she's not planning purposefully, it's what we do naturally, which isn't always a broad repertoire of strategies that kids right. need to see. And so that's what we had that conversation and she was like, Oh my gosh. Oh no. <laughs> I said, it's not, there's nothing that's wrong. We need to, but we need to, we're growing. So what are we going to do? We're going to plan purposefully. We're going to very carefully select the strategies we want kids to see. And we're going to think about what that needs to look like, you know, but it, that's, that's what I thought of whenever you were saying that when we're winging it, you know, maybe we have, I mean, maybe we have some good ideas, but whatever your natural lean is, you may end up there over and over and over again. Yeah. And that are we showing kids? Big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I was like, wow, it didn't even occur to me that that was why I was doing this activity. That was not my purpose at <laughs> all, but it, it was, a, I think an important conversation to have. And I think I might continue doing it and bring that point up as well because nobody does everything or is aware of everything they do as they read. Right. Right. As an, as an able reader, strategies kick in when you need them to. Mm, so you don't, yeah. you're not sitting there going, I'm going to make a connection. I'm going yeah. to make an effort. <laughs> you don't have to do that as an able reader, right? right so right. you really have to slow down your thinking and then you have to be purposeful about what you're sharing with kids. So I thought that was, that was a really interesting connection there. Totally. Um, so anything else that you want to add about practice that might help us implement this? Because like, I know I'm going to take a look at my workshops now and make sure that I have a chunk of time where people can actually uh, verbally practice because I, I have them plan. I always have people plan because I benefit from having things planned out and written down. That's the way that I impact my own classroom was I would mm -hmm. walk away with a plan, but people do need that practice. So I'm going to, I'm going to adjust my workshops to make sure that I include that. So what other things do we need to consider? One thing I would suggest that has worked wonders for me is an accountability piece. So when they practice on their lesson plan, they write down the feedback I give them mm -hmm. and then they practice again. And the reason I have them write it down is because they're going to take that lesson plan back and that lesson plan is going to be in front of them tomorrow. And it's a reminder of, Oh yeah, that's mm -hmm. the one piece I'm missing or that's the one area because even through practice, you have the best hope and then things don't come to fruition. But when you have them write down the feedback a peer gave them or different rounds of feedback that they got, now it's in front of them in black and white and they can say, how am I planning to implement this tomorrow? And through the act of writing, they're already processing and ready to take action. Mm -hmm. So it is so beneficial for some sort of accountability piece during the practice round. If you don't like that, then give them a pause after the practice to write a quick reflection. How did it feel when you implemented the feedback? Um, what questions now do you have about where you're to go? Um, what felt awkward and what do you still wanna work through? Like just give them a time to do a mind dump mm -hmm. and, and get out some of that anxious feeling 
And whether they share it or not, it's again a moment for them to take accountability for the transformation that is happening. So to do that, you really have to be thoughtful in your, your PLCs and your workshops and um, the work that you're doing in, with teams of teachers to make sure that it all builds on itself and that it's all connected. Right? Yeah, so- and that, that's a lot of planning on the coach's part of rolling out coaching and mm-hmm. rolling out practice as part of coaching. So you really have to envision and be specific of what you want it to look like so it can consistently look like that throughout the building, whether you're practicing with them or they're practicing with other folks. Mm-hmm. That's great. So if people walk away with only one thing from this episode, what would it be? What is your number one, their number one takeaway or your piece of advice that, that they have to have to implement this? Get practicing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. You've mm-hmm. got to just jump off the deep end and say, we're going to do something new. I haven't quite maybe thought it all out, but we've got to get rolling. We don't have time to waste. And that's, we're going to practice your lesson tomorrow. Pick two minutes of your lesson that you want to roll out and we're just going to get up and pretend we're actors and in front of some students we're going to do that and we're going to do it with zero misbehaviors first and then we're going to give one or two students a card that has a misbehavior and we're going to try it again and see what tweaks we need to be made Um, and then you just slowly build but you just got to get started you got to find your footing you got to get your head wrapped around what the culture is currently with practice and what you can do to change it Probably a conversation with an administrator needs to happen in there to make sure they're on board and they support. But my best advice to you is please don't underestimate the power of practice in a teacher's proficiency. It not only affects them and how great they are, but it affects the kids who are learning from them, as you said earlier, not just today, but tomorrow and always. Mm -hmm. Could they maybe start with a friendly, like a a teacher that is safe or somebody who likes to try new things? That way they can kind of try it out. Um, Because that way they could actually practice their own directions (laughs) before they go and and kind of target the whole group that way. Make it a safe place. Start Mm -hmm. with your um, positive polys who are like gung-ho, ready to do it. Um, Have them talk about how the power of practice has changed. Um, Because when you hear it from a peer, like, oh, wow, your your lesson was that amazing? Or, wow, this happened? Or... Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're much more willing to give it a shot when they mm-hmm. see their people doing well. Um, so yeah, leverage the ones willing to get in and do the work. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to do whenever you start out that way. And then you can, with the whole group say, you know, I really want to share something with you that I've been working on with Miss so-and-so or Mr. So-and-so and it's worked out really well for them. So, you know, maybe they can talk a little bit about it and that would be great. Yeah. Um, so how can coaches find you online whenever they want to learn more from you? Okay, well, head over to alwaysalesson.com. At the top of the website, there's all my social media handles. You can pick the platform you prefer. If you want freebies and tips and to stay connected, my email will pop up there so you can join the newsletter. Um, And if you really want a tribe of other coaches, because it can be really isolating to be the only coach in your building or maybe district, our uh, spring mastermind is opening up. So there's a survey to fill out there, an application if you want to join in have some camaraderie, but there's lots of ways to connect with me. And I just want to hear your story and help you think through some things and help you get better. So please don't be shy and let's talk. That's incredible. I know that there are probably some coaches you're going to take you up on your offer because coaching can be very isolating, especially if you're only coach in your, on your campus, or even if you have a partner, but maybe you don't, you know, it helps to see other perspectives and you don't always click right away with your partner that you're working with. Right. So it's good to have that team 
um, a community, a sense of community whenever you're a coach. So thank you so much for sharing your thorough ideas with us today. Um, I know that people are going to implement practice. I know I'm going to implement practice in my next <laughs> <Yes>. workshops. And <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, Chrissy. This was fun. I love to geek out, talking all things coaching. <laughs> so I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, coaches. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Thank you.